Welcome to Wide Unclassed, Episode 7. I'm Chris Garcia. I'm going to, again, take a little bit of a side trip here. This is about the Count Five. And the Count Five were arguably one of San Jose's most famous bands of the 1960s. And they broke up even before the 70s. They were a garage band, but they were really experimenting with early forms of what would become acid rocker, even psychedelic rock. You, you hear a lot of things in their music that bring up bands like the MC5, which I love. Like, I cannot explain how much I love their sound. But their big song was Psychotic Reaction. And it's 1966, so it's pretty darn early. But you can hear what you would be getting just a little bit down the road from folks like the Jefferson Airplane. You can definitely hear a lot of the Grateful Dead in their sort of sound. And that they were way ahead of the curve on. And it's it's great stuff. I'm not a big acid rock fan, but I have to say I like this a lot. Now, why am I mentioning them on a podcast about the Winchester House? Well, Psychotic Reaction was actually a big hit nationally. And they did a photo shoot. And the photo shoot was all of them dressed as Draculas. I know there's only one Dracula, but I'd totally go with the Troy from Community Theory that Draculas is actually the plural. And it doesn't need to know which Dracula. But the idea was here were all these guys in this, in their long cloaks. And I think they had the fake teeth in. But they're standing in front of the Winchester house. And actually, it's from Winchester Boulevard looking towards the what I sort of think of as the iconic entry. This is an important image for a few reasons. But the one that I really like to get into is it is an important image because San Jose didn't have an architectural image yet. And one, of course, it's a creepy Victorian. That's part one. And it's famous around the world. And in fact, the it was a publicity photo in the U.S., I don't think they use it as a record cover. They might have used it as a a back photo on the record, but they did use it as the cover of the French version of Psychotic Reaction. But it, the image of the Winchester house, I could see one of the people who was like their manager or something saying, we need something that says where you're from. And the Winchester house is that image. And with the billboards around the country and all of the sort of ideas that the Winchester image brings up, it becomes really, really clear why you'd use that. There's no other image for San Jose. Occasionally today, you'll still see, and for years it was used, the light tower. We had a light tower over Santa Clara Street that was, I think it was Santa Clara and Market, and it was something like 250-something feet tall. But it blew down, I think, in 1920, like something like 100 years ago. San Jose didn't have a landmark like that anymore. And... One of the ways you can tell how distinctive the Winchester House is, is because when they built buildings next to it, they had to be architecturally notable. In essence, they were fighting for your eye space. So you had the Googie architecture that was the Bob's Big Boy, the swoops, the cantilevered roof. You had the domes of the movie theaters. You had to provide a image that was as striking as the Winchester House. And you can tell how striking the Winchester House is by the fact that it gets used in the photo for the Count Five, the biggest band that San Jose ever put out, until later the Doobie Brothers and one half of Fleetwood Mac. So this idea that you have a major attraction that is architectural, that stands for your city, is important. 
And at this point, it's pretty much still the most notable San Jose attraction. And architecturally, it's one of the few things that we can sort of point to. Now, there is a new sort of tower idea, this 200-foot sort of things that blow in the wind that kind of look like reeds that I'm really interested in seeing, but they put the pause on that. San Jose is a city without an architectural signature, and the Winchester house sometimes has to get used as it. (laughs) I'm going to be talking about Bob's Big Boy next time. It'll probably be another two, maybe even three weeks. And I'm going to talk about Bob's Big Boy as important to me, because it was, and how it sort of fit in in the place where it was. Because again, the Winchester house is an ecosystem, and Bob's was there. A ghost story. This one comes from a former cashier at the restaurant. And so you have the little food court, which is not even food court, it's just a cafe or whatever you want to call it. That's attached to the gift shop. And the back area, which they use for meeting space and stuff, I think that is part of the, or at least it's the entrance to, uh, used to be a barn because you could see the rolling doors still. And she got to work. But she kept hearing things. She was the first person in that area. And she couldn't describe what she was hearing. It was more like indistinct sounds, halfway between scuttling that you might hear of a squirrel on a roof and dragging uh, what you might hear if you were trying to pull across a bag of cement or something. And it was coming from further in towards those barn doors in the back. So she decided to go take a look. And as she goes closer, it stays the same volume, which is very strange. She said, it was as if I was surrounded by it and the sound was coming with me. And when she got to the doors, everything stopped. She said it was silent, uncomfortably silent. Because she should be hearing the other people getting to work. She should have been able to hear more. But instead, there was just just haunting silence around her. And so she turned around, and what she saw, she's still not 100% certain, but she knew it was an image moving out through one of the walls, walls that wouldn't have been there in the old days. It was indistinct, but it was obviously something. And she, being much braver than I would be, tried to follow it. And when she went out through the doors, there was nothing. But she could hear the sound again. But this time it was faint. And she walked back in, didn't hear it again, just started her day. There's a theory, and I kind of believe it, that what ghosts can be is a external something, a force, a moment, interacting with an individual's consciousness. So that if two people are actually looking at a space where this energy or whatever exists, they may have two incredibly different versions of it based on their cultural, social, every conscious idea that they have themselves. One may not see it, and the other one may see it perfectly clearly. Oftentimes we sort of apply the idea of being a sensitive to that, and that's possible. It's the same idea with sleep paralysis. If you were a Hispanic person growing up in the 20s and 30s, like my grandmother, you would invariably, when if you suffered sleep paralysis, you might see an old hag sitting on your chest holding you down and you couldn't do anything you couldn't move you couldn't scream nothing but when i a kid who was growing up in the 80s 
would suffer sleep paralysis. I couldn't move and I would look around the room because I could move my eyes and I'd see aliens. They weren't there. I could tell because at the edge, it w- they would be sort of standing in the middle of the bed. There is an aspect of the human psyche that is with all paranormal activity, in my opinion. And this idea that you have a of trying to define paranormal activities as physical things, it's a little dicier. But this, I think, shows as a great example of someone who was experiencing something in them, as opposed to something being located in a place. I think that's that's a fascinating thing, and we'll sort of explore that in a couple more stories later. Thanks for listening to White Unclasped. I'm Christopher J. Garcia, and I'll talk to you later. Thank you.